Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 80 of Radio 815, the podcast dedicated to examining the work of writer, producer, director J.J. Abrams and the extended Bad Robot universe. I'm your co-host, Matt Crandall, here as always with Marcelo Inestroza. Today we are talking about Fringe, season one, episode four and five. The first episode up is The Arrival which aired September 30th, 2008, written by J.J. Abrams and Jeff Pinkner, directed by Paul Edwards. Marcelo, did you happen to catch the appearance of The Observer in this one? Oh, hell yes. Uh, guys, as we've been slowly making our way into the world of Fringe, we've been noticing this guy in this black suit with this bald head. And let me just tell you, the first time that I saw this series way back when it aired back in the day on Fox, I really never understood the, I, I, I really never caught the appearances of the bald guy in the black suit until this episode. But I really, really love this episode because this is the first episode where the show goes from being a procedural show with some civilization to, to becoming something else because this ep this episode introduces a grander mystery to the whole goddamn thing. And I love how the episode starts out with the observer in the restaurant. And w when the waitress comes up to him and he says, and the waitress asks him, you know, you know, what do you want? And the, and the, um, and the observer says, I want this meat as raw as possible. I want 12 chili peppers. And when he gets the food, he, you know, he puts the, he puts the chili peppers on the side, but he takes hot sauce and he goes, and then he just devours the thing. And it was, it was crazy. It was like, I mean, I don't know what they, I don't know what that actor was eating, but I was like, I wonder how many times they had to do that. But that opening scene to me was so much fun. And then when he walked outside and then an earthquake started, walked over to a const nearby construction site and he just said, it has arrived. And I'm like, the fuck is that? What the hell's going on here? It was just amazing. I loved every second of it. Yeah, I loved the way that this episode starts. And like you said, this one is less mystery of the week, even though there is some stuff going on. But it is mostly main serialized mythology establishing stuff that will be going forward throughout the run of the entire series. So I loved that this odd opening where if you didn't know that we have seen this guy before, you would be like, okay, who is this guy? And when he orders his meal and he eats it, then you really wonder who is this guy because this is bizarre. And just the cool look of the, the diner he's sitting in and how calm and relaxed he is as he's writing in this little notebook in some weird language that we have no idea what it is. He's eating this weird thing and he's checking a pocket watch. So he's like waiting for like a moment. And then when we see what the moment is where this explosion and this crane topples over, like this huge thing happens in this busy city. And when we just hear it has arrived, it is like, Whoa, what is going on here? This seems much bigger than anything that Fringe has tackled so far because everything else, even though the pattern and all of that stuff is quite large and we still don't know the extent of it, this man and this event feel like something that's going to ripple throughout not just this episode, but much more. I'm 
as we go along, we definitely get the feeling that that is the case. Um, so I do like that. Then we, we are tracking down this weird object and trying to figure out what it is. And of course, because it has arrived the whole time, this object is displayed, which looks like some magic glowing bullet. We're like, what is this? Is this a doomsday device? Is this something that if somebody does the wrong thing could change our reality? What are you thinking when, you know, Broyles and Olivia and everybody are kind of looking at this weird thing and, and they bring Walter in to try and figure out what it is. Are you confused? Are you intrigued? What are you feeling when we're looking at this weird device? When we're looking at the device, I was thinking, okay, this looks like a, fancy version of a really you know expensive big football because it's like a it's like an oval kind of thing but i'm thinking like it just it shows up there and throughout the course of the episode there's people after this thing we'll we'll get to we'll get to him in a moment but it just shows up and then there's these people after it and then it disappears. So I was like, I was waiting for this thing to do a little bit more than it did. Because I'm like, what is the purpose of this thing arriving on Earth if it basically does, if, if it, it, it acts like a MacGuffin for the main thrust of this episode, but it really doesn't do much besides being a MacGuffin for the villain of this episode to chase. In later scenes... We we are told by Broyles that a version of this space egg has been has has been spotted on Earth before in the uh, in um, in the 1980s, right? Where Olivia goes to uh, an ex colleague's house and asks her and asks him about this particular device to see if she could get any information. And I'm like, okay, so this device has been on on our earth before. So are you telling me that the other version of an earlier incarnation of the French team didn't investigate this before? Broyles did mention in a throwaway line once in one earlier episode that they did try and put together a French team way before Olivia, Walter, and Peter. So I'm wondering if that team investigated the original egg from the 1980s. What do you think about that, Matty? Or do you think that I've completely lost my mind? No, you could be onto something for sure. And I do think it was really interesting that we find out that this isn't the first time this thing has shown up. And when that guy basically says, yeah, you know, in the, in the 80s at Quantico or whatever, um, we found out it was vibrating a pattern, like it was doing something back then. And so they realize that this vibrating pattern might be like a signal that it is sending out, but they don't know to who or to what or why, whether it's, it's a homing beacon or what it is. So I like that, you know, that scene where Olivia visits this guy who also has grief because he has a dead wife. So he sends his condolences about John Scott to Olivia to remind us in this episode about John Scott and Olivia in case we had forgotten or were just tuning in for the first time. And so I like that he says like, you should try and stay away from this thing because I don't think any good can come from digging into this because 
we don't know what this is. And this frequency could be something that we just don't understand, as cer- certainly in our our universe. So I liked that. And then we do see that Walter and Astrid are are doing experiments on the thing and trying to get it to a certain vibration. And, you know, it's always fun when Walter is messing around with stuff. So I like scenes like that. But there is a scene that I do want to mention um, where Peter and Olivia have a quick talk as all this is happening. And Peter says, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. Like, I don't want to be here. I got to get the fuck out of here. Like, this is I'm out of my depth with this weird stuff. And I've got a life that I got to get back to. And Olivia says, yeah, but Walter won't do it without you. Peter says, I got him out for you. That should be the extent of it. And she says, no, Walter has said, like, if you're not here, either is he. And we need him because still all of this stuff, we keep drawing a line back to Walter Bishop back in the day. So I can't have you just quitting so please try and stay on for like a little bit more, you know, one last time, even though we all know, like whenever you say one last time, it's never going to be one last time. So I thought that was interesting that we are seeing that Peter really doesn't want to be here right now. He is not bought in to any sort of significance of what they are doing. He knows that Walter can help in what they're doing, but it's not enough that it's a calling to him or that he's actually really invested. He's just kind of there still at this point. Now, as this episode goes on, him and Walter end up having a couple of talks that I think bring him deeper into the fold by the episode's end, but I don't want to jump too far ahead. But we do have a bad guy in this episode who is running around and (laughs) has this weird machine where you strap somebody down and stick some like weird shit up their nose. Um, And so we see... That dude that uh, Olivia had the talk with gets pro like mind probed by this guy. And um, we find out that this device he has can basically read your thoughts or it's some sort of, you know, like a polygraph, but it's really invasive and weird. And this guy has questions about the device, how much this guy told fringe team about the device. What are you thinking as we're finding out that this device, we now know it's some sort of signal it's sending out, but then there's also this guy who is doing weird things to track it down and control the situation. At first, I thought that the guy with the with the black cap, that's what we're going to call him, was an alien. But if you look at his black cap that he has on, his black cap, especially in one of the corners, has colors like like little dots of colors and i go hmm i wonder if those black dots are like the colors on like a polygraph exam machine because i'm thinking how is it possible that this guy can stick up can stick wires up this guy's nose and then with just a little electricity and a couple settings on his machine read his mind and i'm thinking maybe his hat is the receiver for the machine the other thing that I was thinking was, who is this guy, like, like who sent this guy to ask about the device or the, or, or the egg? I'm thinking to myself, 
could this guy be working for somebody else that we're going to meet way later on in the show? And if so, like that would be really interesting because that would indicate that these people knew about what was happening over here way before somebody else did. And maybe that's why the observers have the egg brought down to this specific area to, to try to, to try and draw these other people out. Well, and certainly on a, on a rewatch, you can definitely make connections and think, Oh, this might be this, 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 if you were watching it the first time, none of that would, would be clear, which we are trying, we're trying to do like a rewatch without spoiling, you know, multiple seasons ahead or anything, <laughs> but still getting into some of the meat of what we know. We're recording our show. Like, uh, anybody who is listening to us right now has seen these episodes before, but I still want to maintain a sense of mystery to what we're talking about here. The other thing that I picked up on while you were discussing Peter's want to leave and move on with the rest of his life, and I'm thinking, okay, that's all well and good, but where the fuck is he going to go? Because I understand that Peter wants to get away from this wackadoo crazy shit that's happening, but Peter is being chased by Big Eddie. A couple episodes a couple episodes ago, him and Walter were being tracked by a weird guy with a camera. So if he leaves, his life is going to be in more danger. Is his need to get away from his father so strong that he doesn't give a shit about what happens what happens to him after he leaves or do you think that he's not thinking clearly at this point? I think he's kind of not thinking clearly, but I also think that Peter is under the impression that once he leaves, he can clean up his mess. So I feel like he feels he's going to find some hustle to find a way to get these guys off his back and clear it up with whatever he owes them or whatever. But while he's here, he can't do what he needs to do to, to make that possible. So that's what I feel. He's, he feels like he's being held back. Even if he is in danger, a lot of times when you're over your head, you feel like you can still swim and you can do stuff to get out of it. And if, if you want a good example of that, go watch Adam Sandler and uncut gems. And that'll show you a lot of these hustlers. They don't realize when they are swimming and shit, they think that they can find a clear way out, but sometimes it doesn't work that way. So I definitely think that, um, you know, Peter, that's what he's thinking in those moments. Now, one thing I do want to mention, we do have a moment where Olivia gets a weird phone call and she hears a voice that, sounds an awful lot like John Scott and it just says Olivia and um, they look into it and they can't trace it and all this stuff. But so this is our first thing in the, in the episode where we're like, what, you know, we last saw John Scott hooked up to the weird brain download machines at massive dynamic. And now he's making a phone call. So that is strange. And that happens also when shortly after that, Olivia has noticed the observer in some old photos. So she realizes this is the guy like this guy is around now. Who is this guy? And Broyles says, yeah, we actually have been looking into this and there's like a ton of them. This guy is at all of these weird events and we've got all of these photos of him. So this is where we start to realize if we have not previous to this, this guy shows up at certain key moments because they have this photo record of him. And it's not like 
he's showing up at key moments and trying to be incognito. He's in these friggin' pictures. Like if this guy was trying to to do something, we would think maybe he would have a cloaking device, but no, he's smiling for the camera in all of these photos. So I thought that was really interesting that this, if you didn't know to look in the other episodes for the observer, this is the one where they kind of say like, if he posed for these photos, where else could he pop up? And then you can run back and rewatch the first four episodes or whatever and be like, Oh, there he is. Yeah. Check this out. So I love that. They, they let us in on this now. So we're learning a lot more about this mysterious guy and they do say like, look, we do have these photos and we have kind of been tracking this because this is odd that this dude and he looks exactly the same in the photos. So I thought that was really interesting. Then we get the moment where Walter is with the cylinder and Walter goes rogue. He syringes Astrid which is like, oh God. And he got Peter out of the room and he takes the cylinder and runs off. And that was one of those moments that I didn't like that he had to, I wish that he didn't inject Astrid. Obviously that's still going to be by the end of this episode, they kind of aren't back on good terms. Um, because that's a real big step for him to take. I feel I, I don't mind that he, you know, tells Peter to go get tinfoil or whatever it is to get him out of the room. I just wish that he hadn't resorted to something so extreme in those moments. Cause it just, it does show us still that Walter is mentally unstable. And even when he has a, an idea that he knows something, he's still keeping secrets. And if there's more stuff he should explain, he still doesn't have the communication skills to maybe lay it all out on the table. When it comes to Walter's decision to, prick Astrid in the neck with that syringe. I was like that, that really confirmed to me what I, what I hinted at a couple episodes ago where Walter is a person with two faces. Yes. Walter's Walter's behavior when he actually pokes Astrid in the neck really confirms to me that Walter is a person of two minds. On one hand, he can be, the quirky math scientist that we all love. But on the other hand, he can be extremely dangerous and he can be unpredictable to, to such extent where he can poison you and run off with a, with a piece of classified equipment. But the bigger thing that him grabbing the, this egg did for me was it really showed me that Walter has a lot of secrets. And I really like the revelation that this episode uh, sort of sort of gives us that when Walter, when when Peter was a young child, Walter and him had an accident and they were almost frozen to death. When the observer saved Walter and Peter from drowning in the lake, he told them, he told Walter that one day he was going to need him to do him a favor. And this was that favor. So, I really love the conversation that they had in the restaurant. I really, really did love that. And for Walter not to tell either Peter or Olivia that he knew um, about the observer when, you know, you know, when they first got there to, um, to, you know, investigate the case, I thought was a really bad choice on Walter's part, but it was understandable 
decision because he because he had to keep it a secret from the two of them because if he didn't, there's no way that Peter or Olivia would have let him give this thing away to the, to to a guy that they don't know anything about to a guy who they think is there to hurt them. The other thing that I didn't like about this episode is that Broyles continues to not trust Olivia all the way, and that point when Olivia you know, brings up these photos and she points out that the observer has been at all these crime scenes. Um, <clears throat> Broyles goes, come with me. And he takes Olivia to a room. And in the room is, you know, the room is carpeted with photos of the observer in different crime scenes. And it's only, it's only after that moment that um, Broyles opens up to Olivia and he says, and he says, listen, we've been tracking this guy but we 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 don't know what his name is. We 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 can't get an idea on him, and we ha- we we know nothing about him. So it really bothers me that Broyles still doesn't trust Olivia all the way. He does to a certain point, but he can't get all the way there. Yeah, it is frustrating, but it it makes sense just because of all the cloak and dagger stuff that's going on with the suits and them not knowing who they can trust and. Now that they know that John Scott might have been doing some other stuff, it makes sense that they're trying to keep people at arm's length because in this universe, you still aren't sure who is actually on our team and who might be a double agent, especially if J.J. Abrams wrote the episode. There's a good chance somebody's a double or a triple agent. So I understand the apprehension there. And I do love what you said, that scene where Walter has taken the device and he's gone and then he goes to a diner and has a root beer float and the observer sits down and they have a chat where, you know, Walter's talking about how much he loves this root beer float and that he hasn't had one in 17 years. And the observer says 17 years is a long time to go without something you love. And Walter and him have this talk where we find out that the observer couldn't drink this root beer or if he did, he couldn't taste it. So we know that something weird is going on there, which might explain why he had such a strange sandwich at the beginning. And the observer mentions that he can't touch the beacon. So he can't, I don't know if he can't interfere or what it is, but Walter had to be the one to hide it. And as you mentioned, Walter then tells Olivia, like, my friend asked me to do this. And Olivia realizes that Walter is talking about the observer And there's a moment where Peter gets really pissed off and he says, I can't believe you did this. And Walter says, stop acting like your mother questioning my judgment. Just know that I was doing the right thing. And Peter's like, I'm out of here. Forget it. And later we do find out that story about driving the accident, the water and how Walter knows the observer. And we still wonder why Walter has been keeping this information from Peter, how it plays out. And with the observer saying, like, you owe me one, is it just going to be one? Is it just this one thing that Walter just did? Or is this like a I own you kind of favor and we can't trust Walter whenever the observer is around from here on out? And... Did those events play out the way that Walter told us? Because we still know that Walter doesn't level with people, even when he seems like he's being sincere. We still don't know if he actually is. 
So I really liked that we got that nice dynamic and found out how Walter is connected to the observer. And when he does say that he hid the device, he won't tell them where it is, but he does make a reference to Peter that I won't tell you where it is, but you know where it is. And because Peter knows, then cap guy shows up, grabs Peter and pulls out his nose tubes and tries to get this information in a scene that's pretty rough with Peter in a bad way. And this guy is trying to get this information and he finds out that the device has been hidden near the gravestone of Peter's grandfather or great great whatever it was. But um, so I liked that we see this device in action and then we realize where we have to go. And the final scenes where Cap Guy is after the device and then everyone shows up and the Observer and Peter and Olivia and all that stuff that's going down starts to feel huge. Especially the showdown with the Observer and Peter is so weird and raises so many questions and just gets your mind spinning. And when the device, you know what goes on with the device you're just like wow like this is a huge ending this is a big act three to this episode what are you thinking as we're getting all this stuff happening in the final moments with the observer peter olivia the cap guy the device i was i was thrilled the first time i saw this episode back in the day and i was thrilled when i saw this episode today for this review because Although I know where we're going, it is just really thrilling seeing our characters discover these story points, like seeing Peter discover that the observers are basically, I'll say it, the observers are aliens and they can read other people's minds and they can they can tell you what we're going to say before we, we even think we're going to say it. So seeing Peter try and understand that the person that he was facing off with knew everything that I was going to do before he did it was fascinating to me. And I love, if I just could make a quick point, I love the weapon. I love the weapons used in this episode first by the cap guy. I love that he has that, that sort of white light pulse gun. And I love the, um, the, the observer's weapon looks like a regular nine millimeter, but it doesn't shoot bullets. It just, it just sort of makes a sound and it pushes Peter all the way back. But I really love that when Peter faces off with the observer and he, and he, and he's, you can see him trying to struggle to make sense of what is happening in front of him, but he's unable to. And he tries to press the observer on how he, how uh, the observer knows Walter, but the observer tells him nothing. He tells him nothing. And, by the end of the episode, you really have more questions and answers. And I loved that aspect about this episode. The other thing that I love that this episode does is I love that final scene between uh, Walter. Well, not the final scene, the second to final scene, because we're going to get to the final scene in a minute here. I love that scene between Walter and Peter in the hotel room where Peter thinks that their accident happened one way 
But Walter says, okay, you think that it happened this way, but it really happened another way. And then I'm, then I'm sitting there thinking, wait a minute. Why should I believe what you're telling him is true? Because you lie, sir. So why should I believe anything that you're telling him? When he's talking to somebody, he puts his voice in a lower register where it just is really gravelly, deep, dark. So we get that great quiet scene where Walter and Peter have their moment. And then we cut to Olivia at home eating a bowl of cereal. And all of a sudden, John Scott walks into the room and says, Olivia, and she drops the bowl of cereal. Cut to black. End of episode. Cliffhanger which drives us into the next episode. So we had all of this monumental mythology stuff happen, and then we end on this weird what-the-F cliffhanger ending, going into episode five of season one, Power Hungry, written by Jason Cahill and Julia Cho, directed by Christopher Missiano. Now, what is interesting is that shortly after this episode starts, and we go back to that, serial moment John Scott disappears and so it kind of feels a little bit like schmuck bait from the end of the episode where it was like oh she was just imagining him and at first I'm like really we ended on a cliffhanger that was just her imagining him but as the episode goes on we learn that this is not just her imagining him this is still some weird fringe shit that we gotta dig into and that is slowly revealed through the episode because Walter says like, John Scott's been reaching out to you. Right. And she's like, what? And he's like, well, you got to listen. Like you, you have to be open to, to these communications. So I liked that because the rest of this episode, for the most part, after last week's giant mythology driven episode, this is an incident of the week episode. Otherwise, and it mainly reminded me of Spielberg produced a really fun show in the eighties called amazing stories. And one of the best episodes ever of amazing stories is about this dude who wakes up and is magnetized and everywhere he goes, stuff is just sticking to him because his electromagnetic energy is completely screwed. And it's a a goofy screwball comedy romance But that is kind of the main plot of this is that there is this guy who his electromagnetism is thrown off. And so we see him at first as just this hapless guy who's working for a delivery company who's got a stalker-like crush on this lady. And as it goes, we start to realize something is off about this dude. And as he gets emotionally upset... Shit happens and he ends up being in an elevator that crashes and he is the only survivor. It's a reverse Emilio, as I now call it, where the elevator doesn't go all the way up. It goes all the way down. And this guy walks away. Uh, This guy, Joseph Megar, as we find out, who is played by uh, this character actor, Ibon Mas Bacharach, who is right now on the miniseries, the dropout. And this guy's like a good character actor and seeing him as this guy who doesn't know what's happening to him or really why we think at first was interesting. And that's the through line of this is that team fringe has to figure out how this happened when they realize 
someone else was in this elevator and this is not just a freak accident. This is connected to a person with some sort of freak ability. How, what did you think of this episode as we're going? And mainly the John Scott stuff is the only serialized thing. And the rest is magnet man. I really felt bad for magnet man in this episode because his mother is like the most awful person on the planet. She's like one of those, she's like one of those mothers that smokes too much, that has a pacemaker that really didn't treat her child the way that he was meant to be treated. I mean, when he first wakes up, the poor guy is thrust out of bed and, you know, as he walks out of the house, his mother's complaining that, you know, he should comb his hair, he should do this, he should do that. When he goes to work, his boss gives him shit. And uh, when he when he delivers this package and he goes to see the girl that he has a crush on, he um, he tries to talk to her and then for some reason she sees the the pictures of her that he has in that he has in his phone and that basically fucks everything up. They go in the elevator, he freaks out, the elevator falls to the ground, they all die and he walks away. So but I felt really bad for him because he's a guy that just wants to live his life and wanting to be better. And he unfortunately put his need to be better in the hands of a psychopath that made him into a ultra strong emotional magnet and i just felt really really bad for him i just i I just i really really connected with his sense of loneliness in this episode because i when i was in my 20s in my my you know in my mid-teens i felt like that guy i felt like the guy wanting to be better so other people could notice me yeah they make him really relatable in that way where you know, we, we understand that this is a guy who is lonely and is shy and doesn't stand up for himself, which makes some of the moments, you know, obviously that encounter with that woman in the elevator is scary when the elevator crashes, but then when his jerk boss is riding him and then that freak accident happens and we get a really gory shot, we're kind of cheering. Like, so even though we know that fringe team is going to have to stop this guy when his boss at the parcel place gets what he deserves. We're like, hell yeah. We've all wanted to do that to a boss and uh shout out to, <laughs> I always point out when people show up on other shows, something that is really weird is that this boss um, is also on the show billions and last season, the observer was on billions. So I don't know if the, the people who cast this show are the same people who are working on billions, but the boss on this, um, and the observer have both been on, uh, the showtime show billions. So it's, uh, interesting to see when these people pop up and you're like, Oh, these people have connections. You mentioned connections. The other thing that I find really hilarious when it comes to connections is when groups of writers from certain studios jump from project to project and they work together on other things. Like, 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 like we've mentioned it here in other things that we've talked about when, when, when a group of writers or a group of producers work on another project with JJ or something else in the bad robot universe, we call them bad robot people. So I, I don't know. I just find it very, very fascinating. And I love when you bring up little nuggets like that, because I don't, I can't, my, my brain doesn't work like that. So the more nuggets you bring up, the better. I really liked that it wasn't a case of Olivia losing her mind and going crazy. I really loved 
the explanation, if I could jump a little forward here, I really love the explanation that Walter gave to Olivia once. Olivia felt safe enough to open up to Walter and, and basically tell Walter, I can't sleep. I'm having problems sleeping. You know, Olivia doesn't tell him, but when she walks away, Walter goes, like you mentioned, you're seeing him again, aren't you? And then the explanation that he gives is such a sci-fi explanation. I loved it. So it so it basically boils down to this. When Olivia was in the tank speaking to John in the pilot, a piece of his consciousness sh- sheltered over to Olivia's mind. So rather than just Olivia's subconscious roaming around in her brain, there's two subconsciouses in there now, essentially. There's hers and there's Sean Scott's. The potential storytelling that can happen moving forward now that Olivia has this in her head are outstanding. It it could be it could be really dangerous, which it's gonna it's gonna get a little crazy and a little wacky, but it could be tremendously dangerous. The other thing that I love that this episode did was after the pilot, you and I were really questioning John Scott's loyalty and whether or not he was with Olivia because he had to be or because he really did love her despite him working for other people who we're not aware of to this point. But I really loved how in this episode, John Scott's consciousness really confirmed that he really did care about Olivia and he wasn't trying to hurt her despite everything despite everything to the contrary because in the pilot he tries to ram her off the road with his SUV so is that trying to take care of somebody you tried to ram her off the road and now you're telling me I you know and now you're telling me that you really cared about me but this also shows that Olivia despite her problems with John Scott and her disdain for John Scott, especially during his funeral, that she still has lingering feelings for him. So I really love how the writers of this episode took a regular case of the week episode and primarily focused on the serialized story elements from the last episode and sort of told this cool episode about this magnet guy. But they really wrapped it, they really wrapped the story up kind of quick. And the tail end of this episode focused primarily on the John Scott stuff. Yeah, the big things that they throw into this episode are that as Olivia has those visions of John, in the one he does say, I did always love you, and I will find a way to prove it. Not now, but eventually you will know that this was true. So that gets us thinking, how is this going to play out? How is he going to be able to prove it? Is he telling the truth? Is this piece of John Scott that is now in Olivia, is it something we can trust or can Olivia manipulate this piece of John Scott to say what she wants to hear? So I think that was something that was interesting to think about, but interesting that they say like, no, this is legit happening. And this is something that as long as she's open to it, we can get that information. The other big thing that we find out is that, The reason Magnet Man became Magnet Man is because there is this weird clinic that does like TV infomercials and then gets people to come to them and they run these experiments on them. So when we find this out that this guy, Jacob Fisher, has set up these weird clinics, it also kicks in a door where there could be a million more 
magnet men or other weird phenomena that are linked to this clinic that now is an issue we're going to have to presumably deal with or at least see more of their work and their misdeeds unfold as we go forward. So I did like that while it is all wrapped up in this case of the week, they're saying it is bigger because there are people who are using some of these fringe things for commercial gains. This guy's trying to get rich off of it and consequences be damned. But the main the main thing outside of just tracking down Magnet Man, and there's a lot of good action and fun with that, is that John Scott stuff and really getting us invested in what that is going to be and the way that John told her, I love you always. And then the end of the episode is the the ring and inscribed inside it is always. So then we're like, okay, He's prove he's somehow proving that this is legit by the end of the episode, which is definitely interesting and adds more answers and more questions at the same time, but gets us invested and shows that when Fringe wants to now do an episode of the week, we do have such a larger swath of mythology that we can drop those breadcrumbs into the episode to keep the diehard serialized fans interested through the runtime as well. Did it really surprise you that this episode was more bloody than the previous episodes that we've seen? Because this episode was was really, really blood blood horrific. You know, that first episode was pretty good, uh, but this this one was pretty gross as well. But that first episode with the John Scott body, the translucent thing was pretty disgusting. But yeah, I think that this upped the gore factor for sure. Oh, if I don't touch on something, I will. I will, I will kick myself for the rest of the week. Um, when the fringe, if I could go back, I have to go back to set this up. When the fringe team pulls a body from the elevator and they take it back to the lab, Walter. And there's a reason why I'm saying this because I know you hate this. I'm doing it on purpose. I want to. I want to see if I set you off. Walter basically takes out this guy's heart. And puts it on a plate and with a magnet, he brings it back to life. So as a person who doesn't like heart things in TV shows, I was, I swear to you, Matt, I'm not kidding. When I saw it, I was like, I wonder how Matt is like, I I bet, I bet Matt is screaming in front of the TV right now. So what was your, what was your reaction to the whole scene when Walter basically picked up that guy's heart and stuck it to a magnet and brought it back to life? Well, as soon as I know that anything like that is happening, I put my hand in front of my eyes and wait till the scene is over because I do not I do not get down with that kind of stuff, uh, which I have made the distinction off off pod that like if it's a horror movie and somebody rips out a beating heart, I'm all good. But if it's in a medical science sort of way, then I am all the way out. So as soon as there was any hard action, I'm not I'm not looking. I'm looking at the floor and just listening to the sound uh, and not staring at the screen. The other thing that I was happy about this episode, or the other thing I kind of liked, was Magnet Man wasn't tied to wasn't tied back to Massive Dynamic. I really like how in these two episodes that we've talked about this week, Massive Dynamic didn't come up once. Now I love Massive Dynamic. I love Nina Sharp, and I love all those crazy fucking people that work in that place. But the first four episodes that we've covered, if I'm counting right, um. 
they've been very massive dynamic heavy. And I got kind of sick. And you're like, this is too early for you to get sick of something. We're really early. How can you get sick of something this quick? And I'm like, I don't know, guys. I just got sick. I got so sick of massive dynamic being linked back to everything. And the way that they were acting, I said it last, I said it last week, the way that they were acting about their technology being stolen really ticked me off. And I was really happy that in these two episodes, we sort of got a break from them. Were you happy that we did get that break or, or do you not feel the massive dynamic fatigue yet like I do, which is, ex- which is insane, but I kind of feel it just a little bit. I didn't have massive dynamic fatigue, but I do like that we are expanding the universe and saying there are other places that can cause these events and finding out that that clinic is literally advertised on TV and then has created this guy. I thought that that was interesting because it expands the world so that it's not so narrow that massive dynamic is responsible for everything, but there are other things going on that we might not be aware of outside of massive dynamic. So I did like that a lot. I also thought that one thing that I thought was cool is that a lot of times in these episodes so far, when we have to solve something, we've been using a lot of weird out there technology or fringe sciencey technology to find stuff. And in this, we actually just go super old school and use homing pigeons. We go like as old school as possible to track down magnet man for this big finale. And I thought that after all the cool stuff we have seen, that was really, really fun. And there's a nice exchange when they're getting those pigeons ready. And Olivia says, uh, Walter, you're not going to fry one of those pigeons. Are you? And he just goes, stranger things have happened. And Peter's like, that's his motto. (laughs) And I just thought that was amazing. Also in this episode, they used a tape deck. Right. Yeah, bringing it back old school. There's a scene in this episode where Walter is talking to Peter. And he says, you have no idea what it's like. You have no idea what it feels like to have pieces of your mind missing. Now, that line to a person that is watching the series for the first time means absolutely not a fucking thing. But... That line to people who have seen the series multiple times, like you and me, we hear that line and we go, holy shit. Did they know exactly where they were going when they had uh, John, John, you know, Noel deliver that line? What, What did you think about that line the first time you heard it? And what do you think about that line in retrospect now that you know where we're going in the future? Yeah, it's one of those lines that at the time you just think, oh, okay, it's because he's been in a mental institution and he's probably got like big chunks missing. And then, yeah, it has double meaning if you know more about the story on a rewatch. So I do think that those kind of things that they lay into the groundwork of this series are what makes it fun to go back and you can be like, okay, yeah, they had the broad strokes of the story from day one. And we just weren't weren't aware of those until later. So I like when they throw in something that fits in the episode and doesn't feel weird, but also ends up having a double meaning later. So that's definitely a good catch. So that is a wrap on those episodes of Fringe. Next week, we will be talking about season one, episode six, The Cure. 
and episode seven in which we meet Mr. Jones. So if you guys are watching along, that's the homework for this week. If you guys are liking the show, hate the show, tweet at us, rate, review, subscribe, follow. We are on YouTube. You can check out the show there. All the episodes are up. If you want to reach out at JJ universe, eight one five on Twitter or using the hashtag radio eight one five. If you've got any comments, we will read them on the show. If you want to get in touch with me, Twitter is the best spot at Matt Crandall, Marcelo. What's your handle on Twitter? If the people want to reach out to you, I'm at Creek fanatic 88. So that'll do it. Thanks a lot for listening guys. We appreciate you being along for the fringe ride that we are just starting. And until next week, radio eight one five over and out. Radio 815 is a Balloonhead Productions presentation in association with Killer Newt Productions.